We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it begins. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We are services so trent so parth hello good to, we've, s- good to see you likewise we have a podcast um i'm seeing you here um at a friend of the show jordan sikafusa's place and you have a cute kitty with you indeed i'm sitting crisscross applesauce on the floor because the cute kitty that i showed on the webcam moments ago is occupying the bed, and we don't want to disturb them. And then, friend, friend of the show, Jordan Sikafus from the, the Nope episode, is seated far away in an adjacent chair, so the kitty has the bed all to itself. Nice. What about you? Any felines or women nearby? Um, I guess two in the rooms next to mine. But um, they're not out and about. They're in their own rooms, you know? That notwithstanding, um, <laughs> I am wondering what you've been eating most recently. Good question. Yeah. Um, I had two Halloween Oreos, and they have orange filling, but it says on the packaging that they taste the same. But somehow, because they're orange, they taste a little better. Is that the cat? No. Is there a sound? I heard like a squeak. It either sounded like a squeak or like a screech or something. I don't mean to to rat out our friend off the show, but I think the squeak you hear heard may have been her undoing the cap of our yellowtail Chardonnay that she is now pour, pouring into a dinosaur mug. So that was not the cat. That was just Jordan drinking white wine. But well, yeah, good white wine though. Yellowtail famous has a reputation that precedes itself. What about you though? I most recently went out to dinner with my parents and grandparents, the whole familia, because um, my grandparents are flying back to India next week. Didn't they get their green cards? Is that true? Other set of grandparents, but yes. Oh, I, I heard the other day you went home to celebrate that. Yes, um, I had to go see them. Tell them I said congrats and welcome. Oh, don't worry. I They ask about you quite often. I can't tell if you're kidding. Like not, I guess not joking in that they do ask about the podcast. But I doubt, I doubt they ask about me on a personal level. It sucks that they have to ask because you can tell they're not regular listeners because regular listeners would know what's happening with the podcast and they would know that maybe right about now we'd want to cue the intro. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their work on the picture. This week, it's part two of a conversation we had last week with who? With uh, sound mixer John Pritchett. Does that sound right? what film? Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's 1999 film, Magnolia. uh, Wait, is there something special about the cast in Magnolia, is there somebody, somebody interesting, somebody we might want to talk about on this podcast? I thought you were just referring to its ensemble nature, but I think uh, 
to be specific about it, I think you're referring to um, the Tom Cruise of it all. I'm I'm blanking on yes. his ca- on his character's name, but e- Ethan Hunt, he's Mackey, a, something Mackey. Uh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds right to me. Um, but yeah, we are finishing up our interview with um, John Pritchett. He was super, super nice to us, had some cool stories, talks about a bunch of the other movies he talked Oh, he shits on Robert Rodriguez. Do you remember that? Wasn't that off air or was that on air? No, that was that was on air. That's interesting. I remember because I was like, wow, this is crazy that he's being so open about this on air. And then we can't say who or what, but it was a, it, it was a different uh, episode interview where we talked... Uh, well, I mean, actually... I, I shouldn't even say. Yes, but um, this is a pretty good conversation. I think that there's some fun little stories our listeners would like to hear, and I kind of don't want to keep them from this interview. Don't keep them. Yeah, this is specific scenes. And he's worked on some good ones. That I'm sure we'll talk about thoroughly in the episode. Yes, and so I guess this is just time to to cue the interview. Um, I guess one more scene that I wanted to ask about another cruise related scene. Uh, so th- there's towards the end, there's the scene where he's talking to his father, um, who's at the hospital bed and listening to it, uh, specifically for the sound. I was like, there's, it's like a weirdly simple scene, but uh, like, there's a lot of like sound elements happening. Like he's, you, you've got hit, obviously the talking bits, but you've also got like, the room tone and I think he's like on a stool or something and you can hear that like creaking. And I was wondering if yeah, you remember if that was, yeah. If, if you remember that was a, you that was on set, that was the sound that was happening or if that was yes. added in later. No, no, no. Oh, I don't, I don't think that they added any creaking, but they might have. I mean, it, it was one of those, Alvin didn't want to, I mean, uh, did, uh, Paul didn't want to change anything. He didn't want us to go in there and oil up the chair like we normally would do. Normally okay. we try to, we try to deal with the elements mm. on the set and making noise. We may, we may oil something up. We may put pads underneath the the, 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 uh, the feet to the chair. All kinds of things that we do to control the environment rather than trying to control the actor. Um, but in that particular scene, we didn't, there was no, we were not going to interrupt anybody at all for anything. Jason Robarts, who just gotten out of the hospital, come and do that scene. He's, he has oxygen in the scene. He really was on oxygen. Uh, he died. He died just weeks after we did that show. But, uh, yeah, so we really had to be sensitive about it because it was difficult. Uh, for Tom, too. I mean, that was one of Tom's most emotional scenes. Um, and it was, it was one of those who becomes a, it takes on a life of its own, the scene. You, can't, you really don't want to interrupt anything. Uh, and and you, don't, you want to make sure that, that you don't have to go in and say, oh, I've got to change your microphone or something like that. You've got to really protect them. Uh, and so that's what we try to do. And that scene is one that stands out as one of those days that it was just like very intense. So you also worked on There Will Be Blood and Inherent Vice, I believe so. And uh, just as big fanboys that we are, what's working with PTA like as a director? The best. He's just the best. That's kind of what I was saying before. Is he's, he, His father was in the movie business. And Paul really wasn't in the movie business until he did his first movie at the age of 25. Uh, 
And, but he had this relationship with his father's friends, actors, other directors, all kinds of people. So he was under the influence of all sorts of folks who have been in the industry forever. And he and Paul, above all else, is a storyteller. Well, that's what makes a great filmmaker. It's not a person who's technically one way or the other, but somebody who can tell a story. You can have all the technical goo-gahs in the world, and it won't be a good movie because it has no story. Uh, and Paul is a great storyteller. And that's how he uses his actors, too. He makes them great storytellers. Uh, anything you can say about There Will Be Blood, it's just like a masterpiece. So I, I, I'd feel wrong not to ask. Well, uh, what can I say about it? It was... Uh, extraordinarily difficult to do because we were out in, in Marfa, Texas, you, out west Texas. You were shooting right next to No Country for Old Men. That's like a... We actually we actually came in as they were going, as they were leaving. We all had dinner one night. Their last night, we all had dinner. That's our first night there. We moved into the very hotels that they, they were in. We just got a change room. Uh, that was one of those kismet moments out in the desert. But that's a... Uh, it, it was a... It was a hard script to begin with. Shooting the whole oil field, all that kind of stuff, very hard. And then there's the Daniel Day-Lewis fact. Mm. Uh, it was my second film with him. And I didn't even realize then, as to, to what after the first movie, what he's really about. Uh, everybody says he's a method actor. He's not really a method actor. It's his method. Uh, it's not. He's not a studied school in that sort of stuff. He does what he does because it's the only way he can do it. He said one day, talking about it, I said, after the movie was always, he was apologizing for his method. And I, he said, he says, the problem is I just can't pretend. He kind of has to really live it uh, on and off camera. Uh, you know, the bowling alley scene at the very end of the movie? Mm-hmm. We had a party, a crew party at a bowling alley about a week before we shot that scene. I had to leave because these guys were out of hand. I mean, they were just, they were throwing bowling balls and crazy stuff in the bowling alley. For real, just kind of practicing in their minds how it's going to be. Uh, and Daniel Day is he's, he's incredible I have no doubt about that but there's in that scene the bowling balls and all that stuff it's all they're all rubber mm. you know, he's not going to hurt anybody with that sort well he probably could but he's throwing this stuff like crazy he gets he leaves and then I say okay now we've got to do the sound effects for all this we'll bring out the real bowling balls and the real pins and all that and we're set up to do to throw them people to throw them and make all the noise and he hears on the walkie talkies he's walking across to his trailer he hears what's going on and nothing will do but that he comes back to the set and do all the throwing himself. <laughs> Didn't need to do that, but he, he wanted to. And also, they were also shot, shooting, and one day we were shooting, right at the end of the movie, we were shooting what we call inserts, which are close-ups of things like you know, pin on paper. Yeah. Or it's a little cook. And uh, we've got this scene where he's supposed to be signing a document. It's just a close-up of his hands signing the document. He made them bring in hair, makeup, and wardrobe. And do him all the way, head to toe, so he could do this. It's not. It's not the method. It's a method. It's no, not no. a method. It's his method. It's his method. And and the fact is, he by working with Paul, he had a director who would tolerate it. Uh, I mean, it, it hung us up a lot of times. It, it cost us time and money because of how Daniel had to approach the, 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 the scene. Uh, there's some scenes where out at the oil rig, and the, the sun is in one direction. It's going this way. And trying to stay up with the, with the sun is always a huge problem when you're shooting something. You have to get covered. But we have to shoot the whole thing from uh, one direction, on one edge, edge of the desert. And then to shoot the reverse, we had to bring the entire company, everything, around to the other direction. Because you could have anything in the shot, and the shots were big and wide and all that sort of stuff. 
Well, so we had it all set up to do from this one direction. And he comes out to the set and he goes, well, you always shoot it from the other direction first, don't you? But Paul said, uh, of course, sure. You know, and so we pulled the company up, trucks, everything. They come in and move everything. It took an hour or more than an hour to just switch it around to appease him. Uh-huh. I mean, he's great. He gets that. He gets that respect. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, he says he's retired. He's he always says that though. We'll just wait till a Marvel movie gets him. Yeah, he will. <laughs> He'll never do a Marvel. He's going to be think- <laughs> he's going to be Iron Man in the next movie. Yeah, he's wait- he's waiting for the next one. He reads and goes, "Here's another Oscar." So you've worked on another really like iconic film, which is Dirty Dancing, which you mentioned previously. Um, anything you could say, which I actually, I only just this year watched the film and it was really fun. And it was fun. And you're how old? Uh, I was 20 at the time. At the time but I'm, my point is, is it's ageless. Oh, absolutely. Yes, my, yes my absolutely. Daughters, my daughter's favorite moods still. My daughter's 29 years old now. But it would always be one of her very favorite moods because it, it, it has that appeal. Uh, and it's, it's a story that just keeps going. And people quote it all the time. Just like they quote the milkshake line from Their Every Blood. They, they quote, nobody puts baby in a corner. They, 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 they get that stuff and it, just, it stays and stays. Uh, it was a miserable picture to work on. Jesus, really? Was it yes. like a chaotic? No, we had a producer, a woman producer who was just the worst. She just made everybody's life miserable. So basically everybody's just kind of tolerating her to get through the movie. And then what made it even worse is that was the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. Mm. And so many people on that movie, the dancers and so forth got AIDS and died. And the director later later died too. So it has that kind of a weird history. But it was in terms of it, what, what it happened about it and how, what a, an amazing piece of work it, it became was just like legendary. It made that movie for $6 million. And it made, at the time when it came out, it was the company that, that released it, Best, Best Brown, I believe, they lived off of that movie for 20 years. They never made, had, did not have another movie that made any money. All, all their ba- stuff was based on that movie alone. And, uh, you know, I'm still friends with a lot of those people that survived on that movie. But uh, I just remember that all that music that said that movie, first of all, it's all super, you know, it's from that period. Uh, they couldn't get, and it was all, they brought it to me on quarter inch tape. They couldn't get uh, approval for a lot of that stuff to literally the day we were going to shoot it. And then they would bring it to me on tape. And of course, music back at that day, the songs were, you know, a minute and a half long, 75 seconds, 80 seconds long. And we had scenes in it where they wanted to have the music playing in the background. And the scene was five or six or seven minutes long. So I would sit there with about two with my recorders and I would dub over uh, the song to the second recorder and then dub it again and dub it again. I have a little editing block up there and I would go in and cut it. You know, cut it so that it would be, a little, uh, be longer, like a lot longer. So I was doing that in the field uh, while we're making the movie to make it fit the theme. Uh, uh, and, sorry, even in a dance-oriented movie like that, are people dancing in silence? Because like, I know that that's sometimes a thing in movies. A couple of those scenes, they are. Or they, what they do is they would, they would we'd have music on and we'd kill it. And, and the dialogue, they would continue dancing, and then they would we bring the music back up uh, when they're through talking. Uh, so there was a lot of that in that movie. Yes, just you hearing about the complicated production of Dirty Dancing, but then also how it like became so legendary. When you're working throughout your career, when you're working on a movie, 
when you have a sense of like, oh, this is one of the good ones, is that like, do those become the ones that are remembered? Or is it funny that like, you're often wrong? I'm often wrong. I mean, the thing is, I always say, if the movie's a whole lot of fun to work on, it's probably not going to do very well. Really? Uh, Do you think that's true? It is true. The ones that are physically, or mostly the hardest to do are the ones that that, that are the biggest critical success. But then again, when you're doing, making the film, whether the movie is a a hit or not, I make the same money. You know, I'm not, none of us make extra (laughs) money because we had a big success. We're all hourly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so, so you just you want it to be something that you can hang your head out and say, "I did that movie," and I everybody loves that movie. Uh, but if it's if it's if it's really fun to do, sometimes it just doesn't do as well as we thought it was going. But the Oscars do reward like you sending your film crew to like freeze their asses off in like Alaska for six months, and so that's like where the suffering versus critical success comes in. You know, I'm watching uh, Game of Thrones for the fourth time. After this wow. thing, and what those people have endured uh, to do that to shoot those those those, those movies, yeah, uh, it's unbelievable to me. They got a lot of awards for it, so. uh, but there's so many that don't get those awards. I mean, we did. I did both of the most recent Jumanjis, and the second one we went. We shot started off in Atlanta, Georgia, shooting on stage in local area, and then we went from there to Hawaii for a week in the jungle. And then we went from there to a mountaintop in Calgary, Alberta, freezing our asses off for a week. And then we went to the southern part of the southeastern part of New Mexico to shoot in the desert there. And then we ended up in the sand dunes, famous sand dunes that are along the border, Mexican, Mexican California border for another week. It was just really, really difficult. And I thought, well, this movie is going to get some, some, you know, some acknowledgement. We just made, at the time, the most money any movie ever made. But, it, you know, it was fun to say that I did it. It was great to say that I worked on that movie. I love everybody on that. Just the greatest people uh, and the greatest cast and all that. But uh, judging by how hard it was to do, it didn't get any kind of accolades that I would have thought. But it was fun, too. It's had a great time. So you have a, you've done a few films with Robert Rodriguez. Um, you've worked on Spike. Yeah, Spike gets to Sin City, Grindhouse. Um, Grindhouse was actually, I didn't really, we didn't really do much of Grindhouse. I, I was there for, we did three weeks and then we had a major breakdown uh, and they shut us down and then when they wanted us to come back, I, I was I was past it. I didn't want to come back. Uh, it was a really grim movie to work Ooh. on. Whoa. Yeah. Like, uh, damn, that sucks. Uh, but like, what's he like to work with next question noted um oh he's you... all right i mean he's just he's, he's like he's just he's he's really if you ever look at the first movies look at the credits on the first movie spy kids and all they look at the credits and you get an idea of who robert rodriguez is right okay um so you also worked on tree of life with terrence malick uh, another film that kind of has gone on to have kind of a life of its own. Um, think so? I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I, I remember walking out of the theater uh, in front of, it was a test screen or something. And there was a young couple in front of us walking out. And I heard the guy say to the girl, well, that's two hours. I'll never get back. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen the movie, but I like well, a lot well, of people well, tell well, me, 
A lot of people tell me to watch it, and I guess Trent and I have the worldview of film school, so a lot of people are like, yeah, I guess into that. Yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a, there's a part of it they're absolutely gorgeous, and there's a whole story in it about the family, the, the family. So it's also really good. Like my wife says, that's the part she liked because it could have been a movie all its own. But there's other stuff that is just silly. I mean, he's got scenes in prehistoric dinosaur scenes where you see a dinosaur going to crush the head of another dinosaur and then has second thoughts about it. He goes, oh, maybe I don't need to do that. And it's the beginning of uh, altruism. You know, it's like bullshit. It's just, it was, it was so, uh, well, at any rate, uh, I didn't do the whole movie. Uh, okay. uh, he's an interesting guy to be a director. Uh, he was a professor of philosophy at Harvard or someplace. Very one of those kind of guys. Really great to talk to. Really wonderful to talk to. Difficult to work with because his way of doing movies, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I think that he's best served by people who don't know much about the business yet, you know, who are new, uh, because they don't have rules in their heads. They don't have you know, experience that tells them, this is how you do this. He wants people who don't have that. He wants people who just got, just walk out and say, okay, let's shoot over here, that direction for this part of the scene. And then next scene, they go, well, let's do the rest of it over here somewhere. And then when they're doing it over there, he'll go, oh, yeah, everybody come back over here and look at this thing over here. Chaos. Uh, for those of us who've been doing it for a while, it was not any fun. For the young people, I think it was great. They loved it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the last uh, movies the, that I wanted to bring up, just because they're two of the biggest movies of all time. Um, you worked on the latest two Avengers movies. Um, collectively, they think I think they've made like $4.7 billion, which I know you didn't get any of that mm-hmm. check. But um, well, well, still. Uh, to qualify that, I mean, uh, uh, we worked a lot of hours. Right. And, uh, and we worked and we went out of the country and we did all kinds of stuff. So we did make some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we're our employees, we worked a lot of hours. Uh, but it was, they were great movies to work on. There was so much. When they, even when they were the hardest they were, they were fun because the cast was. It's every superstar in America was in is a superhero now. Yeah, and and the directors are both really wonderful, sweet guys, um, and the AD was, became a really was a good friend of mine, but he became a better friend of mine. Uh, but it was difficult. I mean, you know, I was running, I, I, I wired twelve people, uh, but I could only put seven of them on tracks, and so we were constantly switching out transfers, switch, 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 and all I tried to keep up with it, and it worked because I just said I said at the beginning. And a friend of mine who did the earlier ones of those, I said, how many tracks are you running on? He said, oh, 12, usually 13. I went, I'm not going to do it. I said, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to run eight tracks and that's it. And I figured out a way in each case to make it just that. And the editor loved our stuff. I mean, I got compliments from the editorial literally every week. Talking about this is the greatest stuff, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so I figured, well, we did it right. And then when the movie was over with, uh, I figured they had to replace a lot of the audio because the sets were so noisy. Uh, and I, I got a call from the assistant editor, uh, sound editor, after the movie was over and out. He called me up to say, this is, this is the best stuff ever. We moved almost nothing on the movie, which to me, that's, you can't pay a bigger compliment to a sound mixer. Yeah. Than to make their uh, job easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, g- g- given that so much of the movie is shot on a sound stage, do you prefer working on sound stages or lo- do you prefer being on location? Because I can see both um, having their benefits. Well, they, they do. I mean, you think, for instance, 
I thought well, we're going to be on stage, so it's not going to be all that noisy. No, no, that's not true. It was incredibly noisy. You had these gigantic fans, mm. and uh, they even built a special air conditioning unit on the stage of what they called silent wind, because he wanted wind air blowing all the time. It wasn't really silent, but it was way better than these huge Ritter fans that they used. No, it was. But they still had them running all the time, and I thought they got to replace all this. They're going to have to replace it. Nope, they made it work. Uh, the stages, you could, of course, you could shoot in the weather, but we shot a lot of that stuff on location too. Uh, all the big towns, stuff out in fields and stuff. We shot the opening sequence in pouring down rain, but we rained for like two weeks, and we just had to shoot. One of those you can't. So the budget's what it was, but you think, oh, if you had a big budget, you could take weather days. Nope, no weather days. We shot. Just get soaking wet and you know, miserable, but he shoot. But the people that I worked with, they did where it was just it was great. Uh, the food was great. <laughs> uh, it was it was you know it was really a pleasure to be on. I was sorry when it was over. We shot for fourteen months, and uh, we were all it was like the family. I mean, it was really sad for everybody. But, 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 but. So, Trent, Parts, do you think do it's you think? time? Huh? No, like uh, I think I think it's time. Oh. I think it's time we release the Big Kahuna final question. Ah, okay. So we have the Big Kahuna final question. Okay. And that is, what is the last great, truly great film that you watched? And it could be a rewatch or a first time viewing. It wasn't one of my... Not, not necessarily. But... We'll say not Magnolia. For now. Dune. Dune. That's a popular Dune. answer. Well, we yeah. we've had uh, I guess that's uh, that's one of like the bigger in scale uh, movies that have come out. Huge, yeah. and I had friends that were in that movie too, and I like talked to them. They said you just you they couldn't believe what they were getting into. I mean, it was just so gigantic uh, and so well done. Uh, I can't wait for the next one to come out. Yeah, I think yeah, they're shooting Dune, it right now. They are. Yeah, uh, Dune was great, and then also. Uh, it was a television movie series. Did you see Foundation? No. Is that on a streaming service? Yeah. Or? It's on, it's on uh, uh, Amazon Prime, I think. Uh, it's uh, from the book, Isaac Asimov's book, Foundation. It actually, it's three books. Uh, it's the basis for practically everything in science fiction. Today. <laughs> uh, literally. Uh, everybody, everybody drew on Isaac Asimov. Just, uh, and I thought, well, they, they, they can't make it as big as the books were. They did. They made it on a scale like, like Dune. Just huge. Uh, and very confusing. Parts of it are very confusing. Uh, but if you get a chance to watch it, Foundation. Will do. Uh, I'm going to bring us out, Parth. Uh, thank you yeah. so much to our guest, uh, sound mixer John Pritchett. He's worked on such films as There Will Be Blood, Avengers Endgame, and our film for today, Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies each week. We talk. Wait, Parth, what are you doing? I already did that. Fuck, shit. I fucked up. Um, Can you keep this in? Sure, that broke my mind for a second, though. Okay. um, This week we're talking about. Or we did talk about. We did, we talked. This week we talked about. Use the past tense. Magnolia, in part two of our discussion with sound mixer John Pritchett. Now, not only have you heard it, but the the listeners heard it so trent well, how was that interview 
Great. Um, I feel like past a month ago, Trent would be more of an expert on how it went, but hindsight's twenty twenty, and so I thought it was pretty good. Did Trent, I'm pretty sure we recorded this in July. Doesn't that fuck you up? I, when I look at the screenshots, uh, like that I store on my desktop, like one or two from every interview, I look at them, and sometimes I'm like, wow. That was so long ago, or I don't remember this happening, or wow, I forgot what that person's face looked like, or I'm surprised that I looked like that on the webcam, any of those things. I feel like uh, all of our screenshots, at least one of us looks unattractive or surprised. Like a little stupid. A, a little, one of our eyes is like wandering in the wrong like direction. Little... Yeah, 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 yeah. Also like strokey. Yeah. Well, I guess the listeners don't know what I just did, but it was like one of my eyes was half open. The kitten does that when she's sleeping. Just like one eye will be like glued shut. It's so cute. That's cute. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's time we allow the humble listeners to continue on with their lives. With unless hum- you disagree. With our humble little lives. And yes. if all goes according to plan, when this episode is released, we can... Uh, we can post on our Instagram several photos of the very cute kitty in question, since this is not yes. a, vi- a visual medium, and we've been talking about it so much. Yes, um, but before you go to our Instagram to see some cute photos, uh, maybe you should go to the uh, podcast uh, app that you're using to listen to this episode and Give us a five-star rating. Maybe give us a little review. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, any podcast. Wherever, wherever, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and also, if you are going to go to Instagram, maybe go to our Instagram and give us a like. Give us a follow. Go to our Twitter. Give us uh, Twitter's kind of a shithole now. but um, Wait, g- uh, give me your 15 seconds on Twitter being a shithole now. Like, I know Elon Musk. Free speech is dead. It can uh, elaborate on that for me. He is giving every everybody the ability to buy a check mark. Really? Eight, yes, and he's going to make it so that anybody that doesn't pay eight dollars a month for that check mark for Twitter Blue will essentially have their tweets hidden, mostly um, or not prioritized, and so you're going to be filled with essentially spam. And anybody can buy a, a verification badge, and for how much? Eight dollars a month. A month. So, so it essentially means nothing because it used to mean yes. that you were. When everyone's super. <laughs> no one's super. Um, yeah. Wow! Wow! What literally is that? Yes, I, I'm sure. Not I'm only sure that, but he he had a call today where there's a thing called Twitter Spaces where you can essentially like it's like a group call. People can listen in on it. And he said that he might use it um, essentially to, as like a, you can add your credit card to it and use it as a crypto payment service. And he'll essentially shut down Twitter. Wow. Good thing. So, so maybe going to our Twitter doesn't matter, but definitely go to our Instagram. It's owned by Facebook and they're doing just fine. Well, anyways, uh, I think it's time we let the listeners go. And next week, we will finish up our Magnolia talk with uh, our Magnolia talk, our Magnolia discussion. And um, that'll close it out for Magnolia, and we'll be done with a third of Cruzapalooza. 
I feel like democracy is dying, but the least we can do is talk about a three-hour movie, sort of pretentious vignettes. Um, uh, Are you excited? But, yeah, no. Uh, first PTA. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. It it will not be the last. Hopefully, if uh, if we, Trent, I I just checked the schedule. We can't accommodate another PTA. If we st- stop doing this podcast before doing Boogie Nights, it was all for naught. You can quote me on that. <laughs> 